0: Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash Elite. Welcome back, or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss U.S. Olympic athletes, adult film stars, Sportsman Drag Racing and Hot Rod Fincham. I'm joined as always by my co-host Big Jed, Jared Pennington. Jed is at home in Alabama. I am back home in the state of Illinois. Welcome, warm welcome to those of you watching live on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. Welcome as well to those of you listening via traditional means wherever it is that you find podcasts. Big Jed, how are you today, my friend? Luke, I am well. I am well.
1: It's a pretty typical Tuesday around here, around the house. I was getting in from work and kind of busy day and uh, hadn't really kept up much on social media, but um, just saw a bulletin here recently in the last 20, 30 minutes that that we'll discuss. I'm struggling to figure out if it's real or not, but I think it is. So we'll we'll discuss that as part of the show but for me um just gearing up for a, a cruise to the bahamas here pretty soon I leave out sunday gonna be gone for a week i'll be off the show next week so you're you're gonna have to find you a co-host or go solo or whatever you choose to do i'm sure there's plenty of good options out there but um you know just uh planning to be gone on a cruise for the first time it's a uh, kind of got us a little stressed out because you know once you get on that boat whatever you forgot you don't get to you don't just run by a dollar general or you know no walmart's on the way yeah so i don't know we're we're just stressing a little bit around here but it's all good
0: well you know there's 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 problems there's first world problems in life jed That's true. That that sounds like of of all of the problems that people could have, if we could all take them, throw them in a pile. I venture to guess you'd pick that one right back up. (laughs) Yeah,
1: probably so. I guess there's worse issues to have. So it's all good. You ever been on a cruise?
0: Once. I wasn't a huge fan. I don't I don't I don't wanna I don't wanna diminish it for you. I don't wanna have you been on a cruise? (laughs) I its a little little late for that, but uh, (laughs) have you been (laughs) on the tree? Let's reframe the
1: question. No, this is our first one. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff we don't know. And, you know, I've heard some of those reports that you just gave and I've heard some, it's unbelievable. So I guess to each his own and we'll figure it out.
0: Yeah, no, I just, um, I don't know. Like, I, I think. I think maybe I'm doing you a favor in, in lowering the bar and expectations. When we went, I felt like the expectations were sky high and I just, I got kind of bored for lack of a better term. Like there's only so much to do on the boat. The places we stopped were awesome, but I'd like to spend like the week there. You know what I mean?
1: Okay. Yeah. I I can see some of that, but um, not a lot of boredom in my life. Um, it's pretty. That doesn't much, sound too bad. Does it? <laughs> I kind of stay on the run, so I'd like to see what it feels like to be bored. Uh, just yeah, for, you know, yeah. now that I listen to myself talk, that doesn't sound all that bad at all. For a couple of days being bored don't sound too bad, because I will get unbored just as soon as I get back here to the to the
0: Penderosa, whether intentionally or not. Exactly. <clears throat> uh, you, you mentioned in the lead-in. <clears throat> the recent announcement, and I'm I'm with you. I, I guess it wouldn't shock me if this was some massive April Fool's joke in mid-July. I don't want this to be real, but it appears to be real. At, within an hour of recording this podcast, <clears> Atco <throat> Dragway has apparently released a statement saying that they are closed for business, effective immediately. 63 years in business, Atco Dragway is. No more. I guess first off, do you buy it? Is this real?
1: Well, I feel like it is um, because it's getting so much traction. If you're if you're at code dragway, seems like you trump this with a with a hey, this is a hoax post and that gets even more traction. But uh, it is seemingly getting spread all over at least the United States quickly and haven't seen anything that that um,
0: says otherwise. Any um any speculation at this point as to to why this is the case would be just that pure speculation. I, there's been no no apparent reasoning given for this. and honestly, I'm not close enough to the situation to know if this is a huge surprise. It seems like it from where we sit. Um, but I guess just as a whole, it's disappointing. I feel bad for the racers in that area. Obviously they lost English town what feels like just a few years ago, maybe close to a decade now. Um, and I don't I don't know, Jed, I don't know if it makes this any better, but there's a part of me that if this was my local facility, like I would want some advanced warning. Like I'd, I'd want to say my goodbyes, so to speak. Like this seems very abrupt. And I feel like that uh, m- maybe it's like ripping off a Band-Aid. Maybe that makes it easier. But I think by and large, like um, I think that's some of the initial pushback and hostility that we get for this is it just seems so, um, unexpected.
1: Yeah, definitely. has seemingly caught everyone off guard. Um, uh, no one's discussed any knowledge of the facility being on the market. So Luke, it, it sounds like one of those deals where someone come in with truckloads of money and wants the the property for one reason or another, who knows what the plans are for the property. I'm sure it's prime real estate in the area that it occupies. So um, it sounds like someone come in with a lot of money and said, you know, we want it right now. And maybe there's, maybe there's some liquidation of uh, some assets and, and parts and pieces that the track has a limited amount of time to, to, you know, part ways with. So, um, and again, pure, pure speculation on my part, but with it being so abrupt, it just seems like uh, they they obviously are on a time crunch for transitioning to, to the next phase, whatever that is, for the property.
0: Yeah, obviously, I can't speak for the racers in that area. I can only speak from personal experience. I've had several trips to TACO. It's been a while, probably been a decade since I've been there. Um, and I'm probably romanticizing it a bit because I, I feel like the heyday of that facility was the, the Joe Sway era. And that those are my memories, uh, of Atco. Um, but man, I, I got some good memories. There some great memories there. It's a fun place to be. And, um, uh, a fun cast of characters up in that part of the country. Like, uh, Atko was fun. Like that, I guess that will be my memory, but, uh, certainly, um, disappointed uh disheartened as much as as anyone that uh, to read this announcement and shocked at that at the same time
1: yeah um i've only made one trip there uh, was a good time uh, that is the the wawa story uh that's why i'm not allowed in any <laughs> other wawas uh, on uh, planet earth so um you know definitely <laughs> great memories of uh, of my trip to hatco um and Happy that I got to at least compete there one time at such a legendary facility, and uh, it was reported on Facebook that a uh, that an investment group has uh, purchased the the property. So I'm sure there's plans there for you know uh, some kind of warehouse or industrial park or who knows what. But um, it uh, if it's true as reported. It's a, it's a shame and definitely hate it for those racers in that area, man, devastating back-to-back blows over a period of, you know, five, six years, whatever it was when English town closed, uh, to, to now at So really, really difficult news to take. If you're a local area racer.
0: Let's change the subject. Let's, let's brighten the mood. That. Let's brighten the mood a little bit. Let's, uh, Let's talk some on-track action from this past weekend, and I think the the, the biggest uh, event of the weekend, the uh, the biggest story comes from Jegs Speed Week, National Trail Raceway, Columbus, Ohio, and the man who won the weekend there, how about former NHRA top dragster world champion Blake Peevler, who not won, not once, but twice in top dragster over the course of the week. He began the week with a national event victory. That's the JEGS Sports Nationals over Jim Halberstadt. He closed the weekend with a Lucas Oil Series Division Three victory over Al Kenny. Quickly now, suddenly, Blake Peevler, former NHRA world champion, has become the title favorite for a second world championship. He's only attended five events to this point, Big Jed. Obviously he's got the two wins over the weekend. In the five events that he has attended, he has failed to make the semifinal one time. That's a pretty solid start. Yeah, Luke, that's uh, it's kind of the 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 results that you
1: hope for and maybe not even expect, even if you're on top of your game. But Blake, making really good runs, driving well, getting by some tough competitors for sure, and putting up a great score so far, and as you say, quickly becoming the title favorite. Uh, five events no worse than a semi or worse than a semi only once that's uh, a that's pretty strong results and uh, and obviously got him on a, a path to the championship if he continues to to do
0: what he's doing thus far so very impressive performance there by Mr. Peebler. Early in 2023 Jed you and I went out on a limb we made some bold predictions one of said predictions came from nostradamus aka big jed where you said i think sherman adcock's going to win the world championship this year that looks like a layup at this point in that same episode i said this is the year for one tyler bohannon he's going to win the world championship this year ti took another step in that direction he did win stock eliminator it was the second stock eliminator victory of the season he won the sports nationals in columbus Uh, Always exciting heads-up final opposite Houston Reikies. Uh, Tebow gets that done. That's his second win of the year. Does that make him a title contender? Mm, Probably not, unfortunately, for me and for Tebow. Two wins uh, at this point in the season is solid. At this point, I don't know if it's more due to the fact that Tyler doesn't have a whole lot to go with those two wins or more due to the fact that Kyle Rizzoli is, has lit the world on fire in Stock Eliminator. I'm not ready to say at this point that Tyler is a bona fide title contender, but a win over the weekend is a great step in that direction.
1: Yeah, no doubt. Another great outing for Tebow. Um I see that the Corvette is for sale, so I'm not real sure how, if if that car does uh, change hands, I'm not hey, real sure what his hey. options are from there do, for chasing.
0: Do you, do you follow along with, with the exploits of
1: Tyler Bohannon at all? Uh, well, I, I maybe don't follow it, but I see it from time to time. Everything's for sale, Jed. Yes, that's true. It's always for sale, but at what price, I guess. So, um, but... Either way, um, he, his his path to a championship has obviously got quite a few hurdles to it, with uh, the performance of, of uh, Riz, so um, and some others too. There's obviously others in between there that are going to be a uh, challenge to get around. But if Tebow keeps uh, putting up final round win lights, anything is possible. I mean, uh, I know Kyra is putting up a great score, but. You know, the the champion that came out of Stock Eliminator last year was not someone that we felt like was on that path at this point in the season last year. So Tebow remains hot, wins the right races, Rizzoli goes cold, anything's possible.
0: To quote the great Kevin Garnett,
1: anything's possible.
0: Steve Eckerd, Big Jed, at Columbus, a track that he's very familiar with. Steve Eckert. Shut the door on his super comp entry, staged up for the final, and won the Jegs Sports Nationals. The what operative do you mean, term shut the door? being "shut the door." You don't hear that very often in the NHRA 890 category.
1: No, Luke, obviously a very rare feat. It's not attempted very often, and and you know certainly when it is attempted, that uh, that choice that weapon of choice is uh is in the minority <laughs> for sure so uh, even putting a door car in super comp is uh rare and then getting the final round win in that said door car is even more rarer and steve eckard did something extremely rare and difficult to do a pretty cool
0: accomplishment for sure you got that win over the long skinny car of josh camp In super gas at the JEG Sports Nationals, Big Jed, how about my man Jesse Fritz? It was less than a year ago we were talking about Jesse on a big stage in a junior dragster. Jesse, a young man competing in his first NHRA national event. And as of right now, Jesse Fritz, batting a 1,000, Big Jed, enters his first national event, wins his first national event, and does so in impressive fashion, ended up knocking off David Morris in the final round at Columbus. Yeah, our old buddy
1: David Morris uh, went to two final rounds there uh, in both Super Comp and Super Gas. So great accomplishment by David. Really happy to see him get that done. Um, a, a guy that's dedicated a lot to racing, as you know, and, and what he's uh, involved in these days with Fuel Factory. But how about Jesse Fritz? I mean, this young man is just getting started, Luke. I mean, he, Really dominated on the scene in any junior dragster event that he was a part of. He he was always either in the winner's circle or you had to get through him to get there. So we knew this kid was going to be great. But batting a thousand, jumping right out there in super gas in a very challenging category and getting a win right off the bat. The future is so bright for Jesse Fritz. Really, uh, really proud of that young man. He's a he's a great young man. Not real good at burnout contests just yet, but <laughs> in Super Gas, and I had to bust the chops there, Jesse, sorry, but in Super Gas, obviously, he is very, very good. So, great performance by him. Happy to see that.
0: Jesse shared the uh, the announcer booth with one big Jed at the Jegs Summer Door Car Shootout, and he was yeah. fired up for a day and a half about the burnout contest. And in his defense, Jesse Fritz did the best burnouts of the weekend that were not a part of the burnout contest. I mean, he went to like 60 foot every time. But on cue, on demand in round two, that thing hooked like five feet out of the water, and he had to come out <laughs> back up to the tower tail between his legs and apologize. So yeah, that's that's the background to that story. Um, Jed, I, I got, as you know, I got the opportunity to, well, actually, but let, me, let me backtrack a little bit on that. I think when we talk about Jesse Fritz, I think we could go back a couple of episodes and the the monologue that I shared on Anson Brown, I think we could just rewind and hit play again. It's very similar to recent graduates of the the Midwest Junior Super Series, right? It's a series that I advocate for all the time. And and if, if the success that those two have had immediately doesn't speak volumes for the level of competition in that series, I don't know what does. But when Anson won that 50 grander at St. Louis, I basically said, like, look, am I surprised that Anson Brown is having success at this level? No. And I would say the same thing about Jesse Fritz did I expect Anson to go win his first big dollar bracket race? Did I expect Jesse to win his first national event? Like, no, that's insane. That's unheard of. Um, but Jesse specifically, like, you know, I had the opportunity to work with him. So Jesse was actually a part of the initial, this is bracket racing junior. And I'm not taking any credit for teaching what he knows. Like he was part of the the footage that we compiled compiled to put together. This is bracket racing junior. We pinpointed Jesse and a handful of others and said, look, you seem to know what you're doing. Like come show us, right? And as part of that, every run in a in a closed sequence, Jesse's in his junior dragster. And we come back from around and be like, well, what were you on the tree? And you tell me. And I'm like, what'd you t- what wh- who got there first? I did. By how much? Mm, I took a little, I, I took a little more than I wanted to. I think I took like 10. Hmm. He, he took 11. Go, go show me that again. Do that again. What'd you do that time? Oh, I did a good job that time. I took mm, 4,000. He took three. I mean, like every time he went down the track, he told me exactly what happened at 16, 17 years old. Like I was blown away. And just watching him, like his skill set is so perfectly suited for super gas because he is a... Super knowledgeable, super um, talented, aggressive finish line driver. And the thing about the super classes is that I don't care how good a combination you have, how good a car you have, like it's quarter mile on a fixed index. And I don't care what anybody says. Like I got a really good race car and I stage up and I'm like, I don't really know what I can go like pretty close. That doesn't phase Jesse Fritz a bit. Ah, I can go under fine. He's good. And that was on display because he didn't just win. Like he put on a show.
1: Yeah. I mean, obviously very talented young man. And, you know, when the the scenarios you laid out or the the runs you laid out where, you know, you were talking about tell me what you took, obviously seeing that is very important and knowing what you see is very important, but also understanding when you leave, you know, what, what happened there? did you did you have the advantage? did you did you let go on time? And he recognizes that immediately and is able to to develop his strategy or change it based on that information that he's processing in his mind. And those are skills that don't just come to you. you know that's that's stuff that that you you learn, you develop and obviously enhance uh, on a regular basis. so, Uh, Jesse Fritz has all the tools and certainly is going to be a handful in whatever category he chooses to run, but certainly the, the, the fast pace of that pro tree action and understanding if you've got the advantage or not when you leave is so valuable. And there's a lot of people that might tell you, oh, I knew I had him on the tree when they look at the ticket, but tell me without looking at the ticket. And those are the things that Jesse can do. And that talent is going to lead to lots and lots of wind lights.
0: Greg Campplain drove his competition eliminator dragster to two final rounds in Columbus. But similar to his son, Josh, he came up short in both of them, run it up to Troy Galbraith in the sports nationals, run it up to Ronnie Bone in the Division Three event, you would think, zooming out, like Greg Camplain coming into any season feels like a title contender. Back-to-back runner-ups have to bolster that. And he's toward the top of the sheet. But honestly, the score that he's putting together to this point isn't necessarily your, your historically uh, title in title contention. But that man that beat him in the second final, won Ronnie Bone. He appears to be a legit title contender, similar to what we talked about with Blake Peevler. Ronnie hasn't been to a ton of races yet, but he has showed up and showed out everywhere that he has been. So write that down as your, as your handicapping competition eliminator for this season. No one's really stood out to this point. Ronnie Bone looks like he could be that man.
1: I mean, his last name's Bone. So obviously you I know, hope a I'm guy I'm going to pull for it. Um, You know, i I'm, Top 10 name for sure. He's no Steve Boner, but uh, Ronnie Bone is definitely a great name and uh, and somebody that is obviously performing very well, all kidding aside, outside of the name. I mean, Ronnie is, uh, is driving extremely well and, you know, to be a legit title contender this time of year keeps it hot. Who knows what happens? So, Greg, you got to be. I mean, that's what it's going to be, regardless of how it should be pronounced, but uh, definitely, uh, definitely a great performance, and you know, getting by Greg Hamplain is no easy task at all. So, obviously, beating great racers
0: along the way—pretty um, stout for Ronnie Bone, without question. And Jed, we buried the lead from Columbus. Your boy, your boy yeah. Sherman Adcock, was on the grounds, and he didn't win Supergas. Everything okay? Did you check on Sherman?
1: I didn't check on him, but I think he's gonna be okay. He he got a few win lights there, so he helped himself.
0: While he did not win supergas, which is the story of the weekend, he did not go home empty-handed. Sherman advanced to the final round of super comp in the divisional event to close the weekend where he uh, heartbreakingly turned it 1000 thread to one Dean McIlvain. So McIlvain got that win in Supercomp. in super gas while Adcock did not advance to the final round, did not hold another Wally. He did continue to pad his enormous lead in the category. He advanced to round four in the Lucas oil series event. Uh, I believe he lost second round in the national event. I guess if there is a takeaway from this, we had, it wasn't long ago, Jed, we, we discussed Sherman's opportunity to perhaps have the best score in sportsman drag racing history, or at least the highest score in supergas history. Those are probably still on the table. We also flirted with the, the kind of outrageous idea that Sherman could put up a perfect season. That is technically still on the table, but now it, it gets tougher by the day. At this point, he's been to four national events. He's won one, two national events remaining. He would have to run the table there and also win one more divisional event to claim that elusive perfect season. That doesn't seem particularly realistic, but that, and nor honestly does the, the the shot of surpassing Peter Biondo's ridiculous record. I think that was seven wins in a quarterfinal to put up the nearly 800 points that Peter had put up. Um, the The super gas record certainly within reach. And I guess the bottom line of this, I don't think any of this really matters as much as winning the 2023 national championship. And Sherman still um, holds like a 200-point advantage in that regard. That's probably all he really cares about at this point.
1: Yeah, you know, obviously the goal is to win the championship, Luke. Uh, you know, I'm sure in Sherman's dream season, putting up the highest uh, sportsman total ever is was something that, you know, was within his grasp at some point. Um, that that obviously isn't going to be the case. Peter 792, I believe, is safe um the the highest super gas total i can't remember what that was but i was thinking it was like 711 or something
0: i think it's a 730 something 734 something in that range it's, it's it? you were you were quiet on me there for a second what was it i believe the total is 734
1: 734
0: okay. some, something in that range something that is very much within reach for sherman at this point
1: yeah that's doable obviously uh with some good performances down the stretch but Regardless, when the championship, having a two hundred point cushion at this point. Obviously, a lot of people with a lot of races left, and that two hundred points will will get uh, cut down significantly. But at six seventy eight at this point in the season, you know it might not be over, but it's over.
0: Oh, it's over. It's you know, been over. Second double
1: o one red in a final this year, this one come in the super comp category. The first one was in the super gas category, uh, to Dean McIlvain, by the way, which, uh, you know, good to see Dean score in the super comp. That's a, that's a good group up there. McIlvain race cars. I know you've done some business with those folks, uh, with, you know, with some of your stuff. So good people and, uh, and certainly do a lot for racing. So happy to see that for Dean and super excited for Sherman, you know, a, a final round appearance that far from home. Big deal. You travel from Georgia, you know, kind of South Georgia area to to Ohio and score a final round, go to fourth round in super gas, pad your lead. Successful trip for Sherman. Definitely worth the, the trip for him and, and happy to see that again. Uh, he has a stranglehold on the super gas world championship and couldn't happen to a better
0: dude. Dad, I was, I was kind of in a hole last weekend. I was doing junior dragster things with my junior dragster friends. We'll talk a little bit about Eastern Conference Finals later in the show, but I wasn't super locked into the final Mile High Nationals from Vandermeer Speedway, Denver, Colorado any specific takeaways that you had from the event from watching along, from following on social media it looked like an emotional weekend. it looked like more of a celebration than a than a than a grieving process but uh, definitely definitely diff- a different vibe when you know that you're going to a historic facility for the last time.
1: Yeah, Luke, I uh, definitely did not get to to watch this very closely. I was uh, going on a work trip from Thursday morning till a Sunday afternoon in uh, Sandestin, Florida. Uh, lots of interaction with the, the group that I was there, the convention I was there with. So I uh, didn't get a chance to watch this very closely. Uh, but certainly, um, you know, have seen a lot of people discussing the last one. At Bandamere, as we know it, uh, the Bandamere family, I believe, is planning to build another facility uh, in the general area. Uh, obviously, that real estate just became too valuable to hold on to as a drag strip any longer. And, um, you know, you can't blame them for making the move they made, but excited to hear that they have plans to continue down the drag racing path and, and build another facility. Hopefully, it's a premier facility like the Bandamere that we know today. And we can resume racing on this level uh, in the Denver area at some point. But saw a lot of good vibes around the event, Luke. Uh, a lot of people that, that traveled there that normally wouldn't make this event just because it was the last one. So uh, I think they sent Bandamir out in style and uh, certainly happy for everybody that got those final wins. Uh, as you know, the final win at a legendary facility on the NHRA tour, as you, you have uh, collected one of those yourself, that's extra special.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Um, I think the most notable, memorable, perhaps the most emotional winner from the weekend was one, Josh Herman, a friend of ours, Big Jed. He got his first national event victory at the last race at what is not only his home track, but like, he's part of the family, right? Josh's wife is one of the band-a-meers. Um, And you could just see, I just saw still photos from the Winter Circle celebration, and you could just see the emotion all over them. Um, obviously, a lifelong goal for anyone to win that national event, but to do it there on that stage at the last one, given the circumstances, pretty special stuff for your top dragster champion.
1: Definitely special stuff with uh, that tied to the Vandermeer family. Um, you know, I know Peeps collected uh, final round win light at the last divisional ever at Vandermeer and now Josh doing it uh, with uh, the national event. Wally got to be super special. Those those will sit in a special place uh, for eternity. So um, really cool deal for Josh Herman and the Vandermeer family all around. And by the way, I, I do see. Our buddy Britt Cummings online here, and uh, and he said, really, the only thing we need to know is that Clay Milliken won top fuel, which I did see that. Certainly, very cool to see Clay win anytime, but uh, to close the facility with a uh, with a top fuel win, uh, you know, that's a special one for him as well. He's a he's a guy with sportsman roots, still loves sportsman racing, and Clay even tunes into the show from time to time. So, Clay, if you're watching, listening, whatever, bud. Congratulations. Uh, super excited for that. So, that's always fun to see you win. That's to
0: Clay. Congrats. To yeah. Clay. Yeah. John Brimer won Big Jed. I think he, he retires the Vandermeer facility and I, I think he can lay claim to King. John Brimer won Stock Eliminator. Not just in 2023, but the last two times they did it at the Mile High Nationals. That Wally went back to Texas with one John Brimer. Congrats to him on the Stock Eliminator win for a second consecutive season. Super Comp, Big Jed, Super Comp stood out to me because Dale Mayer won the race. And he beat seemingly everybody that you would pick to win the race along the way. In his wake, Chris Whitfield, Gary Stinnett, and a final round victory over... A familiar name, but it's been a few years. How about Luke Schumard driving to the final round, Big Jed? I've never met Luke Schumard in person, but I grew up reading about Luke Schumard. Maybe I was drawn to the name. I don't think been involved in racing in several decades. Pick right back up where he left off, drives to the final round at the final Mile High Nationals. Again, comes up short, short to one Dale Mayer. Congrats to him.
1: Yeah, that would have been quite a story there for Schumard to collect that final round Wally, but uh, Dale Mayer obviously had different plans and Mayer went through a gauntlet, you know, running Schumard and Gary Stinnett and Chris Whitfield, which we know uh, is is always a difficult out regardless of where you are, but especially at altitude. And um, Dale collecting that final Wally from the event and doing it, by running such a talented group, at least in the last three rounds. I'm not real sure what he faced prior to that, but that one, again, will hold a special place on the mantle or in the, the trophy room. And John Brimer, anytime you win back-to-back stock eliminator or any category championships at national events, it doesn't matter where it is, but when you win it the previous year and then close the facility with your last one, Again, a heck of a performance there by Breimer and certainly one that uh, that he won't ever, ever, ever forget. And Luke, to wrap that up uh, in the sportsman category, Scott Burton, which is always uh, a difficult out getting a special win there at Vandermeer in the superstock category. No surprise, Scott Burton, always a threat to win wherever he is, but closing it down in Denver, a pretty special deal for him, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, without question, I think the Burtons are, are recognized at this point nationwide, but that all started at that facility. So to to close it down in that fashion, pretty special for the Burton family and, and just also a continuation of a banner year for that family and that race car. That that car that Scott Burton drove to victory is the same car that Brad Burton drove to victory twice earlier in the season. That is one vehicle with three super stock Wallys uh, to date in 2023. And just for those keeping tabs at home, it's July 18th, pretty incredible stuff. <laughs> so the question is,
1: is it the car or is it the driver? And the answer is yes. That's
0: exactly where I was going to go, Jim. Yes. Yes. 100%. I was I was actually shocked to see, I know that uh, the Burton family name is, is, it's more prevalent with Brad, right? Three, three, three-time, two-time NHRI world champion, I believe, was was vying for three last year in that battle with Cooter Hidalgo. I was shocked to see that this was Brad Burton's fourth national event win. I would have assumed like 14 before four.
1: Yeah, and that does surprise me as well. I would assume that it was a much higher number for sure.
0: And perhaps the Drag grace Central record keeping is off. That has happened before. There wasn't also a, a doubleheader divisional up in the great Northwest, Big Jed, uh, Woodburn Dragway, a place that both of us uh, hold in high regard. I don't know. That being said, I don't know that there's anything from Woodburn that was necessarily newsworthy. I don't know that there was anything that will shake up the national points. There weren't any uh, drivers in, in multiple Lucas Oil Series final rounds. What I did think was notable, and we've touched on this a couple of weeks ago, but it just keeps coming. My man, Cooper Chun, Big Jed. Cooper Chun, most of our listeners are familiar with Cooper's story. Cooper had been on an upward ascent in his racing career for for several years, young man, um, and diagnosed with cancer less than a year ago now. And I think had eight months out uh, of racing, not behind the wheel. I believe he's been back now for less than four weeks. We talked about him winning twice over the July 4th weekend. He won twice yet again over the weekend at Woodburn. He didn't win uh, a Wally in Super Comp. Uh, He got back in his dragster for the first time this weekend. His previous wins had been in his Mustang. And my understanding is like it was a feat for him to get to a point where he could consistently get in and out of his dragster. Right. That's been a goal of his for several months. And to get back in it, he immediately wins the Super Comp shootout, which I think is a 16 car runoff on Saturday. He follows that up. With a super pro victory, as uh, they do super pro in, uh, at Division of Lens in Division 6 on Sunday. So Cooper Chun back at it, back racing for the first time in eight months. And within the first three weekends, four wins. Pretty incredible stuff.
1: Yeah, just uh, the ultimate comeback story. Um, obviously, Cooper, very talented young man with a very bright future behind the wheel, um, devastating. Um, you know, what he has gone through and what he's continuing to go through. But great to see him back health-wise to a point where he can even get out there and compete, Luke, and uh, certainly getting in out of the dragster was something that I don't think any of us were sure when that would happen. And it's it's happening now and <laughs> right at home, turning on wind lights, the Super Comp Shootout win, the Super Pro win, just great to see such a, a good family and fine young man battling through so much in his life at such an early age where your your understanding of it is, you know, has got to be challenging. You know, it, it's hard for a young man that hasn't had or anyone that hasn't gone through this with a family member or a close friend. And I'm not saying Cooper hasn't, but, you know, when it's it's in your family and you're very young it just doesn't seem to hit quite the same as it does when you've had as many birthdays as we've had so cooper dealing with this at such a young age is probably very difficult for him to to grasp and i'm sure there's a lot of questions on his mind about how or why this has happened to him but i can tell you um, god you know makes an example out of people that that have a great platform and a big stage at times to to help others learn how to deal with challenging situations like this and cooper has been the model um patient in terms of what he's dealt with and how hard he's fighting and the love and support around him that has continued to lift him up and he's back out here doing his thing still not out of the woods completely uh you know where the where the disease has has been totally beaten down just amazing amazing job on his part and and something that you can't help but root for i mean we're all rooting for cooper and his results to continue in terms of good health and great reports but certainly turning on these wind lights uh, can't do anything but help that cause as well so um just a, a fine young man and, and someone that's certainly setting a wonderful example in how you deal with some really challenging news in your life.
0: Yeah, I think it's easy in situations like this to, to sit back and say like, the racing part of this isn't even like important. It's completely secondary and that's accurate. But if you know Cooper Chun, like the racing is the catalyst for his health. Like it is the, it's what gets him up in the morning. It's what it's, it is, it provides the motivation. And so to see him just to get back on the racetrack, like that's a victory in and of itself, but to immediately seemingly pick up where he left off and have that success and be rewarded for the work, the fight, the, the, the struggle that he's been through. Yeah. It's, um, I don't know. I keep using the words pretty incredible stuff, but it is, it's um, it's it's noteworthy. And I don't, I don't, I don't think it's worth just breezing past and saying, eh, it's just racing. Can I turn this into a, a junior dragster podcast?
1: Hey, I wouldn't have it any other way because um it sounded like an, <laughs> an incredible event at the ECF loop. It
0: was my first Eastern Conference finals experience in Jed, I think we talked about it a little bit last week. I I didn't really know what I was getting into. I didn't really know if I'd like it. 480 wing dingers, junior dragsters for like eight days. Yeah, I don't know, man.
1: Wish I did shouts. If I did shouts, I would definitely put wing dingers on the Put the wing dingers the in there? That's a good yeah, one. I might, good. I
0: might have to shout that <laughs> out myself. It was fun, Jed. It was really cool. It was a great experience. I'm glad that we did it. Uh, certainly for my son, but also for myself. Like It was, uh, it was really cool. It had... I know I said something similar to this coming back from the Christmas on the coast event last year, this had very much like this to me had U S nationals vibes. Like it just, it was, it felt like that level of electricity in the air, you've got the, the um, prestige of winning, you know, essentially a a national championship or a a conference title in this case Um, the, the aura of the NHRA thing around it, like, very spread out event, had a very much a national event feel, which I think is is unique um to, to anybody driving a junior dragster, but it it serves to elevate the, the 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 feel of the importance of the event. And it wasn't super tense, it wasn't super stressful. It was just like, hey, this is a big deal, and this is pretty cool that everybody gets to compete on that stage, right? So um it was, it was neat to to watch. It was neat to be a part of. In the end, Big Jet, I think the story from Eastern Conference Finals was there was first-time winners across the board. No repeat winners. A couple threatened it. Camden Teal came really close. Uh, Camden, uh, I think we had talked about here on the show a couple of years ago, he won both the Eastern and Western Conference Finals in the same year. And I believe he was eight years old at the time. Uh, Camden's 11 now. He did advance to the final round, turned it red beside one Easton Hodge. And Jet, I think that is the story of the weekend. If you will remember, we talked about Easton Hodge last year at this event on the show for, I think it's fair to say, being wrongfully um, disqualified from the event. It's just kind of a bizarre scenario all the way around. Um, Easton got kicked out for like having his head out of the cage and all reports were and all videos indicated that that wasn't really the case. Like it was kind of selective persecution and and trying to make an example of a, a young man that probably didn't deserve, by all accounts, didn't deserve to be made an example of. He goes from winning first round, being disqualified from the event, the lowest of lows, uh, and, and being the center of controversy that I'm sure he or his family never asked for, to one year later being on top of the mountain, taking that Wally home. He is your Eastern Conference Finals 11-year-old champion. What a story of redemption.
1: Yeah, Luca. I mean, obviously uh, was wrongfully disqualified last year. I, we, You know, people can dispute that any way they want to do it, but there was video evidence that the young man did not stick his head out of the cage, and um, they harped on that last year, and maybe the gentleman felt like he saw it. Maybe he was looking too hard. And, and wanted it to happen, I don't know what the answer is, but Easton was chosen and eliminated. You come back to this year to where really at the end of the event last year didn't even feel like these guys would ever be back. You know, Jake, Jake said if he had his preference, he would never go back, but he said, I, I'm leaving it up to Easton. If he wants to go back and compete, then we're going to go back and compete. And obviously, Easton chose to to go back and give it another shot and, uh, and got the ultimate redemption story. I mean, the young man turned on the final win light in this category, um, holding a lot. It looked like holding a 10th or so, you know, doing it he in grand went, fashion. He certainly went a 10th under. A couple of times used, that, uh, used that, uh, that, that ability to go way under to his advantage did his job at the finish line, sent his opponents through, just really drove the wheels off the thing and earned the victory and uh, got the chance to, to chat with Jake today, actually. And Jake said, you know, he said, we, we had a lot of good discussions with the officials. And he said the, the hatchet seemed to get buried at the end of the day and all was well that ended well. And like I told Jake, sometimes these type of things need to happen to the right people to get the right results. And I think NHRA loosened their their stance, their firmness, not necessarily on that, that action happening, but what they would tolerate that was within the rules versus trying to find someone to make an example out of. I think they transitioned to just being race officials very well. and. And I'm not sure that happens if it don't happen to a Jake Hodge and his son. Uh, It obviously got a ton of traction. It got a lot of press, good, bad, or indifferent. And unfortunately for Easton, he's the, the son of a very popular figure in racing. And it, it shined a light on it that he probably didn't want or need, but it also helped correct things for all competitors going forward. So Uh, Again, all's well that ends well, really happy for Easton, really happy for Jake. And Jake wanted me to know that the NHRA officials did a very good job. Everyone seemed to, to make sure they were not trying to find reasons to make life hard on anyone. And they were loose and fair. You were there, Luke. I'm sure your vibe was the same. He said the event had a very good vibe and and all is well that again ends well but uh, he was very happy with the way that that the whole thing played out obviously his son won that pegs a happy meter but just in terms of the rules and people mm-hmm. being held to certain um standards he said it was all fair because last year you know we had to, to deal with the 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 electric car that went way too fast and that was supposed to be elimination and they got an opportunity to continue racing because nobody knew what was going to run, you know, irregardless how you feel about all that. It seemed like, um, it wasn't, it wasn't even and fair for everyone. And he said, I assure you this year was that. So Jake was very happy. Uh, I'm sure all racers were happy with that and great,
0: great redemption story. I'm glad you brought this up because, Coming to the the defense of NHRA is not a particularly popular decision, not not a particularly popular stance in in what we do. Um, But no, you're right. Like the the vibe from this event a year ago, and obviously I wasn't there. It was highlighted by this situation with, with Easton and Jake Hodge. But the vibe from everybody I talked to was, man, it. I think Kenny Underwood said it best years ago, but like, man, we were there for five days and it felt like the cops were after us for five days. You know I mean? Just, just waiting for you to do something wrong so that they could kick you out or reprimand you or what have you. And I felt like the officials, it's a very fine line to walk specific to junior dragster racing because the, the utmost importance for everyone involved is safety. Right. And, and if there's anything that is, that is not a hundred percent safe, then it's, it's NHRA's place to step in and make sure that the parents and the the drivers are aware of that. Um, I felt like they walked that line really well and did a good job of, Hey, you've got to rein this in without it being just an in your face. Like you're, you're doing this wrong. You're out. What have you like? uh, And I just, I felt like after last year, it it seemed like that was a point of emphasis and from everything that I could see. And obviously everything that you're hearing as well, um, they did a pretty good job of that. So kudos to that staff. That's, I actually I had a I had a good conversation with uh, with Cody Savage there. He's the Division Two director, and he's he's in charge of the Eastern Conference Finals has been for about a decade. And I watched they do a drivers meeting. Maybe they might do it every morning. I didn't realize it was going on. I kind of walked in on it, and he's fielding questions. And it was all I could do not to raise my hand because I'm like, ah, this. I think I could. I think I could bring some levity to this conversation because you're just getting these most off the wall questions from junior director parents, and most of them, you know, super defensive about what NHR is going to do to them, right? You know, given past experiences and things of that nature. And thought, no nah, this probably isn't the place to bring this up. But then I was actually able to to speak with Cody one on one later. And I was like, Yeah, I had a question for you there. I just didn't know how to, how to ask it. And he's like, what's that? I'm like, do you volunteer to do this? Like, surely? surely this is like, this is part of your job. Take it or leave it. And he laughed and said, no, I've been here for 10 years. I actually enjoy it. And I, that would, that takes a special person to even take on that job. So not, not to say that he or anyone is, is flawless in in any of their decision-making, but uh, like I say I think overall they did a good job this week and, and circling back to Easton Hodge, you had mentioned, he went a 10th under against the red light in the final. I, I'm not a hundred percent sure that that was the strategy throughout, but I did see at least two runs where he was noticeably late. And most junior to drivers of, of any age, right, forget the fact that Easton's 11. Usually when, when junior drivers talk about a drop, like they're down three, four mile an hour. When Easton dropped, Easton got on out of Dodge. It was like down 11 mile an hour to pretty close to the dial. Like it was pretty impressive to watch, uh, from, from any driver, much less like I say, one, the 11 year old age group. So pretty young kid, pretty, pretty good stuff.
1: Yeah, it was real good stuff. Uh, definitely learning from uh, a great driver and his dad and, and got a lot of good racers around him. So Easton has a, a lot of uh, people in his corner and certainly had some extra motivation there and to, to ultimately get that last win light was really cool. And you mentioned Cody Savage, Luke, I, I I think um, I'd have to go back and watch the show, but I'm pretty sure I publicly <laughs> um, um, condemned Cody and his team last year. Uh, so I would like to publicly recognize and congratulate them on uh, on cleaning that up. That was a that was a difficult cleanup to to come back this year and and create the vibe they had, and certainly um, get his team. To do maybe not a 180, but you know certainly some type of turnaround on um, so being so aggressive and and eliminating people or disqualifying people uh, or finding reasons to. So good for them! Congratulations to Cody and the entire team there in Division Two because uh, by all accounts from the outside looking in, you guys did an awesome job of of creating the right vibe and the right atmosphere. And allowing these kids to be kids, but race within the rules and enjoy themselves, which is what it's all about. And look like everybody did a real good job of that. So they should be commended.
0: Like I mentioned earlier, no repeat winners at the ECF, but a lot of big name winners. Uh, Dexter Gomez probably heads that list. He won the 15 year old class. Dexter, I, I got familiar with him just watching online i watched him uh, that the race didn't end up running to completion he wanted on a practice tree but it was the the halloween spectacular at montgomery last year dexter put on a show and you just watch like I, i've never had an opportunity to meet that kid in person but he's got this signature he's got white gloves and his signature move is just a hand on the cage you know like dad's tuning everything it's hand on cage and he just looks so calm cool collected and that reflects in the way that he takes the car down the racetrack like I say I, Dexter Gomez went and was no huge surprise he won the 15 year old class Jesse Varner uh won the 10 year old class he comes from a long lineage of tremendous drivers um big car drivers and and his and his siblings and the juniors uh Easton Hodge we talked about the redemption story winning in the 11 year old class Logan Grayson another big name uh won a won a big name battle in the final round of the 16 17 year old class which, it feels like again that was my first uh ECF experience but the 16 17 year old class seems to hold a little bit extra weight just because in a lot of cases it's their last last opportunity at this. So Logan getting that win over one uh Hunter Davis, two tremendous junior driver drivers with incredible careers. It went down the way you thought it would. Logan Grayson gets that win by just three thousandths of a second both put up solid runs and then uh, continuing down the list of big name winners dylan mcnichol um on the 13 year old category he was runner up at this event in 2021 if you're familiar at all with drag champs like you're familiar with the name dylan mcnichol whether it's uh junior street junior dragster down in the florida area mcnichol's a big big name there other winners from bristol connor boyd this is bracket racing junior member. Connor Boyd won the six to nine-year-old category. Uh, he was a deserving champion. He made really solid runs throughout. I think he was 40 and two above in the final, which in 1190 junior dragster, you let it down like 60-ish total. That's going to win a whole lot more than it loses. Yeah. Uh, I think he was 004 the round before that. That's kind of really strong. Joey Torsia wins the 12-year-old class. June, Jude Curse Nason. One's the 14-year-old class. Jude's win was over one Hope Capley, who was another one going for um, a second Eastern Conference Finals championship. She won it way back in 2016. So this is a 14-year-old class. So Hope was just, what, seven when she won her last one, uh, came one round short of duplicating that feat.
1: A uh, strong list of winners there, Luke. And And as you mentioned, Dexter Gomez just continues to do very impressive things behind the wheel. Uh, 15 years old expect to see Dexter continue on into big cars um, before aging out of juniors and probably playing some double duty there but Dexter's going to be a handful for quite some time the Varner family got to be super proud of, of young Jesse the Varner family puts a lot into racing they work very hard uh, they take two or three juniors every time they go along with two or three big cars and you know they've they've always got quite a bit of entries in the pits. So happy to see them get the win. Logan Grayson certainly a talented young man that uh, that we're going to see great things out of for quite some time. He and his father um, obviously pouring a lot into junior dragsters. Because look, I saw the I saw the uh, Corvette Roadster Junior. I think it was unveiled there at the event and a really cool looking is going to. Going to be, um, you know, something that I'm sure a lot of people are going to have some interest in, and we'll continue to develop that. But uh, uh, the Grayson family and and um, Bill, um, why why does the name escape me? I, I mean, I know Bill well. We we text, but <laughs> Herman, Bill Herman, yes, Bill Herman. I'm sorry, Bill, um, <laughs> but uh, Bill Herman and the Grayson family developing that junior dragster, uh, body, uh, for the Corvette Roadster. And, uh, that thing's going to get a lot of traction. Um, as you talked about Dylan McNichol, um, you don't have to look very far to see Dylan get big wind lights and junior dragster racing Connor Boyd going to be, a uh, going to be a handful for many years he lays down the best six to nine runs out there i mean this kid is very very talented not very familiar with joey torcia or jude Curse nason but um huge accomplishments for both of those racers jude obviously hey jude top 10 name uh nason kind of takes that away a little bit because that one's hard to say so that wouldn't be top 10 but if your first name is jude <laughs> you're going to get a top tenner out there so happy for all these kids great event uh certainly some great winners and some great redemption stories and luke i know uh, i know you were super proud of of gary um he he did well um competed well in his class obviously didn't end up with uh with the final round win there in the big show but i think represented himself very well on the racetrack and uh you had a lot of interaction with the, the this is bracket racing junior kids that are involved in your program, as well as I got to see interviews with you know Jack and a lot of other kids. So looked like you guys had a blast and, and Gary raced well in his first one. So uh, I'm sure you guys are scheduling a return for the following year and uh, look forward to seeing how that ends up. But, uh, but certainly, you know, again, from the outside looking in, it looked like a great time for the Bogacki family.
0: It was that it was that. And to your point, it'll be difficult not to go back. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was cool all the way around. I was super proud of, uh, my little man. That's uh, yeah, that's, it's, I'll just say it's the best he's ever driven a race car. It was neat to see two years of discussion and it all just kind of come together on the biggest stage. Um, and he made a mistake when he lost, but, uh, I'll live with that. Right. And, and, and he will too. He probably, he probably should have been in the final alongside Connor Boyd, uh, give back the finish line at five for the bite of the final, but the way that he got there was like, I said, best he's ever driven a race car. So that was cool. And that also Jed, it gave us the opportunity to just stick around and watch the end. And I feel like it got, um, heightened just a little bit because shortly after Gary was eliminated, there was a weather delay It rained. We were probably down for about two hours that really just set the stage for the semis and the finals. And and I think heightened the anticipation and maybe the anxiety among all the competitors remaining in at that point took the thing to even another level, but the starting line for the finals and that scene, I mean, there's everybody that was at the racetrack was on the starting line. There's probably two, 300 people down there and the emotion from the parents, the onlookers, the families, like it's pretty, yeah. I, I, Watching watching Connor Boyd win the six to nine-year-old class and and you know having a relationship of some sort with his father and just seeing his father's reaction, it made me tear up, big Jed. I could not imagine if that was my kid. You know what I mean? It it, it choked me up a little bit. It's it's a big deal. It's um like I say, Indy. I don't know if it's fair to compare anything to Indy, but it is definitely the junior dragster version of Indy. Pretty cool stuff. We started the show, Jed, talking about. Race tracks and 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 race promoters with the the news coming down from look Africa.
1: look before we transition to this I I got to mention you said the rain delay the last two hours which hard believe it rains in Bristol I I, don't, I hadn't seen that very yeah much that never happens mm-hmm. over my seventeen years there the scene in the lower hospitality area oh <laughs> in the overnight rain that came was something I've seen before. But I, I don't think I've seen it with race cars or trucks or trailers or, or motorhomes. Let, let me incredible. just put
0: this into perspective. It was this was Friday morning. It had rained overnight, Thursday night. I slept through. I am no rain. OK, and we're parked down behind the tower. So overlooking the area that, that you're talking about. Obviously, we weren't in the middle of that. And I had gotten up early. Gary's class is the first thing out. And I wanted to monkey with some stuff on his car. So it's about 630. I, I come staggering out of the motorhome. And I look down to that area because it's it's right. I, I just looked to my left when I opened the motorhome door. And I thought, oh, man, it, it rained more than I thought it did last night. There was some standing water down by the creek. But I could see the pavement in that area. I right? didn't think anything of it. Close the motorhome door, go up in the trailer, worked on a junior dragster for 45 minutes. I came out and the water is three feet deep in that whole area. It rose that quickly, in like 45 minutes from seeing the concrete to it's up over the floors of trailers. It's the wildest thing I've ever seen. I've never been a part of a flood. That happens so quickly. It's really scary. Yeah, we've all heard
1: the the saying, good Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. Well, the creek rose in Bristol uh, <laughs> definitely, I think, caught a lot of people off guard, because obviously it rained quite a bit, but did not cause the immediate flooding in that pit area, but it certainly caused it after the creek rose uh, down there in that part of the the pits, and that's, a, that's part of the pits we've seen flood many times, but it typically, I think, does it after a hard rain that that just sits there, and and puts more in the area than it can hold. But this was certainly the creek rising over a period of about an hour or two after the rain came. So, uh, pretty pretty odd scene for a racetrack, and definitely one that uh, I think caused its share of damage to to some equipment, um, you know, motorhomes and trailers and such. I hate to see that, but. Uh, certainly one of those things that'll be another memory from the event.
0: Yeah. The, uh, and the, the wildest thing about it too, was by two o'clock that afternoon, you could see the pavement again. Like It, it came and it went and just, I, I, like I say, never been a part of a flood. It, it, it caught everybody off, uh, off guard, but uh, it, was, it was wild one of the wildest things I've seen. Uh, closing the show, TB Promotions announced yet another big event, continuation of a big event. They've done the class racers Revival now for several years but with a unique twist on the flyer that they uh, that they just released to close this season it's early october it's on a tuesday big jed which you wouldn't normally think is a tremendous date but it's it happens to be the tuesday between the nhra national event in st louis and the following weekend's double divisional event at the same facility tuesday tb promotions gang sneaks in there with the class racer revival highlighted by $10,000 to win Stock Eliminator, $10,000 to win Super Stock Eliminator, $10,000 to win Competition Eliminator, plus $10,000 to win Super Comp, $10,000 to win Super Gas, $5,000 to win both Top Dragster and Top Sportsman. This is something that, I don't know, if yeah, I think it's fair to say hasn't been done. Certainly hasn't been particularly successful, those that have attempted to kind of replicate the NHRA model, but with a big dollar bracket racing format, we've said for several years, like this class racer revival thing, this should work, right? And it's been, it's had moderate success enough to keep doing it, but it seems like the, it's a more of a long play than it is an immediate uh, windfall for the TV promotions team. This year, they include super comp, super gas, top dragster, top sportsman for the first time. I hope this works, Jed. I love this type of racing. I would love to see better payouts. I would love to see a more racer-friendly approach than, quite frankly, than NHRA's approach. And I just, if this is ever going to work, this is the perfect date. Most of these racers are going to be there anyway. You, there's not a wally involved, but come and support this. It's going to be awesome. I can't wait. Big Jed, what it's, what's your takeaway from this event, the, the heightened stature and purse of it, even from years past, and then specifically the date and the location. Luke, I think it's another huge get
1: for the TB Promotions crew. Um, you know, brilliant idea, as you said, to, to land between those events. I'm sure it was not an easy sale to the St. Louis uh, higher-ups that we want to bring in a major – this is a major event – we want to make that happen in between these two races where I'm sure your staff would prefer to be winding down or maybe doing their regular day job, or there might be things that you have to get set up, you know, taken down from the national event, set up for the division, whatever. I'm sure there's work to do. And we're going to throw in the, the big purse event for these uh, sportsman categories. I'm sure they had to sell that a little bit to St. Louis as well. So a huge gift for TV promotions, really good idea. And Luke, you mentioned there won't be a Wally. Uh, there's going to be some Benjamins, and that's going to be a little different feel for the person that collects the final win light in each of these categories to where they actually get a return on investment as opposed to the, the small amount that you are guaranteed to win. Of course, there's contingencies involved at, nationals and divisionals but we all know that's not what it used to be so to to actually get your hands on some pretty good cash to turn on that final win it's going to be really cool for for the racers that collect those final win lights and um you know it'll be interesting to me to see how those final rounds are handled because these guys aren't used to winning a whole lot of money and for that to be available to them you know i'm wondering if these if these racers even talk split or if they just freaking, we'll just go ahead and race for whatever, whatever we're supposed to be racing for. They don't, they don't know the split world by and large, all of them don't, there are some that participate and understand that, but most of these racers don't know the split world like we do. So they don't know that you're supposed to split. Mm -hmm. Good point. You're you're supposed to split, but maybe they don't know that and they're just going to race for it. So it'll be very interesting to me to see it play out. Um, but, you know, just the overall take on it. Absolutely great idea, and as you said, if it's going to work, this is the best opportunity for it to work. I think not only is it going to work, I think this is probably going to lead to um, obviously if if everybody knew it ahead of time, the the divisional it's probably going to lead to more people participating in the divisional. Obviously, there's a there's a limited amount at the national, and you got to be in that a little bit prior to the event. So I don't know how it impacts the national event, but the divisional, I think it's going to lead to it being a little bit better as well, which will benefit St. Louis uh, facility. So really cool get on TB Promotion's part. They're, they seem to be able to, to get facilities uh, right now to do things that they don't typically do which is pretty awesome. So Brian Whitworth and Tebow um, making a great name for themselves and doing some really cool stuff. This one's going to be fun to watch on a Tuesday.
0: Agree 100%. On the first note, yeah, like actually competing with an opportunity at some sense of return on investment that's new to us as NHRA racers. That'll be cool. Um, the split that that's an interesting discussion because that's not, that's not a discussion that's had at a divisional event or a national event. Like at this point, unfortunately, there's probably not enough money involved to split. And then it gets super convoluted because most of it's contingency money. Like that's, that's not a typical discussion. And while there will be some, um, overlap or crossover from the big dollar bracket scene to the. Uh, the super comp and super gas scene specifically, maybe not so much stock, super stock, competition eliminator, even top sportsman, top dragster. Um, It will be interesting because that's not, it's not something at the top of mind for most of those competitors. Let's just, let's just play a little, let's do a little role play scenario, Big Jed, because I I think while I agree, this is a difficult sell on behalf of Brian Whitworth and, and Tyler Bohannon, I do think there's one obvious point that you're missing. So I'll be I'll be the TV promotions team. You be the the uh, worldwide technology raceway staff. Hey, 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 guys. Uh, so I want to have a race uh, two days removed from your national event. What do you think? Oh, guys, you got to be kidding. There's a double divisional
1: coming up right behind that. This place is going to be a nut house. You know, we're, we're going to be busy. We've got a lot to do. I don't think that's going to be a real good idea.
0: Yeah, what I'm going to need to do is I'm going to need you to get your staff in there for about mm, probably 14, 16 hours on that day off. and Just come in there on, on Tuesday and work. That We can do that, right? Uh,
1: it's doubtful. Uh, these guys have day jobs. It's all we can do to get them here for back-to-back events. Uh, you know, it, I appreciate the idea, guys, but I don't think it's going to work.
0: Okay, well, what's, I mean, just out of curiosity, what's your typical track rental?
1: It's going to be about 15000 a day.
0: Okay. How? Uh, just quick question. How else are you going to make that kind of money on a Tuesday?
1: Uh, you know, I'm not real sure we were planning to make money on a Tuesday, so that's a good idea. I'm not, you know, maybe, maybe this is something that we could talk about.
0: Yeah. I, of the 52 Tuesdays that your facility sits vacant throughout the year, how many opportunities do you have to rent out the track on Tuesday? I'm calling you to rent out the track on a Tuesday. I think that's how the conversation went. Some, some, something like that. That's a good take
1: on it, Luke. I think that's uh, probably helped them to to this decision for sure. Um, so, not a lot of opportunities to make money on a Tuesday, but this is one, and you don't have to herd cars in or out. Uh, they're already going to be there for the most part.
0: Now that's a good point as well. Uh, and, and yeah, I, I don't. Know, I think the majority of racers uh, are, are traveling into that. It's only really two days off, so to speak. I don't think the majority of racers go back home, assuming that they traveled for a long way. So I, I think it should work. It should get clientele that wouldn't normally support an event like this to support an event like this. Like say if it's ever going to work, this is the perfect storm. It's brilliant. Kudos to, uh, to Brian and Tyler. Uh, I'll be there to support it. I hope it works. I'd love to see more races of this nature. Yeah, definitely
1: hope it works, and uh, and I think we would all up to see this for for those categories, and um, can't wait to see how it all works out, and and who ends up with the final round wins. Um, Luke, Steve Logan is online and mentioned that uh, there were almost seven hundred cars there last year at the double divisional. Yeah, so there was no
0: sure. I was gonna I was gonna weigh in with that. That, that, that even makes sure it a more good participants last year. So if we're gonna sweeten the pot even more. Um, yeah i think it was it was this event last year we talked about they parked cars on the left hand side of the racetrack and i didn't know that that was a thing mm. right and there were it not just two like there was like 80 cars <laughs> over there so yeah 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 it
1: makes the idea more good for sure so good luck to tv promotions and all the the um sportsman category racers that'll be participating it'll be fun to watch it um you know Start to finish. Um, Luke, before we wrap the show up and it's time to do that, apparently during the EV discussion uh, last week, I must have started down a path that indicated that that I thought there was cheating going on with the electric vehicle cars because okay. I mentioned it.
0: I did not get this impression. But well, go thank
1: you. Thank you. And this was not discussed prior. Uh, I wanted to I wanted to give you kind of the surprise factor with that so you could give me your take. But I did talk about the car that I saw go 612 at 120 and 625 at 120. And I said, I don't know how they make it do that. But, you know, I guess you get in the program. But it was because the racer in question had told me it had a drag race mode and it would change the ET it was as simple as that I, I certainly didn't mean to indicate that i thought electric vehicle racers were were cheating in in some kind of shape any shape form or fashion so uh, i wanted to, to publicly state that i do not believe that is going on um i certainly you know if there was capability of doing anything to the car i think if you're allowed to race it you're within the rules and you're just using what resources you have so certainly i didn't mean to to go down that path, but I want to publicly state that I don't think that's going on with electric vehicle racers. The ones that I've had dealings with at our events have been high character, just fun foot brake racing guys and gals. And certainly, um don't know what all of them are doing, but I know the ones that I've interacted with are, are straight up.
0: They ain't got one of them their newfangled vehicle reaction timers, do they? <laughs> Tree reader or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, See, none of that's going on. You seen this floating around on Facebook? Like we had delay box testers like 30 years ago. I don't know. Yes. Yeah.
1: Anyway. Yeah. So, Everybody got
0: to get something to get worked up about.
1: Well, you know, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what I said. I watched it, but I don't know how I said it, that that it got received wrong, but certainly don't think that's going on. So I'm glad we were able to clear the air there. That wraps up this version of the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Loken Jib. If there's something that you want to talk about or um, discuss about this show or a, a show that you'd like to see or hear about, there's a place to do that. It's right here where you're watching if you're watching tonight live on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. You can uh, post that right here on the page. What's up, George Ashton Jr.? Thank you for that. Um, you, can, uh, you can post that right here on the page, or you can uh, send that private message and producer Markle Snag it up and let us know what you had to say. So, Luke, I've seen you go to the notepad a time or two. Um, Don't know if Wingdingers made it. I hope they did. But
0: what's them shouts look like this week? Shouts to Wingdingers. Shouts to more gooder and more rarer. Shouts to Cody Savage and you, Big Jet, walking it back just a little bit. Shouts to Hey Jude. Shouts to the Creek. It rose. Shouts to making money on a Tuesday.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, that's putting the fat back in fat Tuesday, baby
0: when you when you pad those pockets. That's what I'm talking about. Let's hope so. Tuesday's not gone. And we have Tuesdays with Maury? What else happened on a Tuesday? Somebody, some no, not just somebody, like five people go in ten grand on a Tuesday in a few months. Yeah, sports and, drag race, sports and drag racing podcast is live most Tuesdays and going
1: to racing YouTube channel shows on Tuesdays. Tuesdays are great. And Tuesdays are not Mondays anymore. So that makes them even more gooder. Even more gooder and
0: slightly more rarer. <laughs> yeah.
1: Guys, uh, Luke and I are both active on the Twitter. Uh, if you'd like to tweet, tweet at us. We don't, we don't get much tweet Twitter interaction with you anymore. So tweet at us. Luke is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I. I am at JP11X. We'd love to hear from you anytime and all the time. Thank you for watching. If you're watching tonight, if this is Friday and you only got to listen, thank you for listening. We appreciate you tuning in. Any way you're getting this information or getting the show, we're glad you're getting it. We will uh, we'll talk to you, or we won't talk to you. I'll be off next week. Um, I would like to go live from the Bahamas, but I don't know if my Internet package on the cruise is going to allow that. If it will, I'm going to chime in somehow, some way. If not, I'll catch you the following week. Luke will be here. Maybe with a co-host, maybe not. We don't really plan that till about 24 hours prior to the show. He'll I may or may not
0: <laughs> come up with something. No
1: promises. <laughs> he'll, he'll figure all that out sometime <laughs> next week. Either way, Luke and or I look forward to talking to you again real soon about more Sportsman Drag racing. Have a great night, everybody.
0: Oh, it's those long nights,